Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with me, Father John Ricardo. I'm here uh, with my co-host, Mary Guilfoyle, Nick Jorgensen. How are you guys doing? We're doing great, Father. Doing great, Father. It's great to be here today. So, uh, Nick, what's our podcast topic today? So, today's topic is captured... What the hell happened? Whoa, that's a little direct. It is direct. And we're going to explain that in a second. But Father, will you open us in prayer? Yeah, boy, if there's ever an episode we need to pray beforehand, let's do it now. So in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, we just entrust uh, this conversation to you. We ask for your Holy Spirit to anoint us and all the words that come out of our mouths, our conversation. And uh, we ask for your light to be uh, brightly shown upon the enemy in all the ways in which he tries to harass us and oppress us and keep us from the freedom that you've made us for and the abundant life that you offer us in your son, Jesus. Be with all those who are listening to us right now. Help them to know that your son is Lord and that we have utmost reasons for hope. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Father. Yeah, that's right. Hope. That is what we are looking to bring today, right? Bring hope. So we're in the middle of uh, breaking open our series on the kerygma. Uh, the kerygma is the technical word for the proclamation of the gospel, which St. Paul says is power, dunamis. It's the power of God. So as, as a review, the kerygma has four parts, right? We say the goodness of creation is part one. Part two, sin and its consequences. Part three, God's response to our sin. And four, our response to what God has done. We... Shorten that to four words. Created, captured, rescued, response. And so today we're talking about captured, what the hell happened? So for those of you who tuned into our last podcast, you remember we covered created, where we talked about the grandeur and majesty of God and his creation and his particular love for one creature, you and me, right? Created his own image and likeness. That's us. So today's podcast, in a unique way, we're going to change the format just a little bit. Um, when we do cr- captured normally, we, uh, you know, Father John is, is preaching for about an hour or so um, to an audience, right? And so uh, given the podcast format, we want to, uh, we're going to step, Mary and I are almost, if you will, kind of kind of step away from the mic just for a little bit so Father John can just really unpack and teach really well captured um, so that we can, so that God can shine his light on the enemy, right? Right, and we want to, exactly, we want to give room for the Spirit to move to touch your heart through what Father John's going to offer us today. And um, just a couple quick thoughts before we turn it over to Father. So if you haven't listened to the Created Pot episode, I'd encourage you to hit pause right now on this podcast and go back to listen to Created first because it's going to make a lot more sense if you do. And then second, this topic, and clearly, as Nick said, it's designed ultimately to speak hope into our lives. But at times it's going to come across heavy and Mm. sobering, right? But the truth is, we can't really appreciate the extraordinary news of what God has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, unless we understand, right, the bad news. And so given that, if you're tempted at any time in the course of this podcast to stop listening, press into what it is God wants to reveal to you, okay? So thanks, guys, for that. Appreciate it. Um, can I just, uh, I'm going to be real self-disclosing. So um, I've never been more irritated uh, going into a podcast than I am right now. I don't know if you guys are or not either, but like little dinky things, like it's just like annoying me in a disproportionate way, which 
um, should be expected, right? So that's how the enemy works. Like, he doesn't want this to happen. So uh, I just want to lead with that. I don't know if you guys have experienced that either today, uh, in the midst of all the work that we've been doing, getting ready for this. And um, I would presume that more than a few of you who are listening right now um, are experiencing something similar. So if you're listening right now, um, I just want to encourage you to hang in. The, the, the purpose, as both Nick and Mary have said about what we're going to do, is this is all about hope, right? So we're talking about the story because Scripture gives us an account of reality. Mm. And as one of our favorite authors puts it, reality is about evil and suffering, but ultimately God's triumph over evil and suffering. So we're going to look at the evil and the suffering today so that we can set up just how extraordinary is the gospel and what it is that Jesus has accomplished for us, okay? okay. So uh, let's, let's try to dive in, shall we? So one of the ways that I try to think about Scripture, Scripture is uh, something like game film, right? So we just came out of the Super Bowl not too long ago, so the Chiefs and the Niners, they're preparing for the Super Bowl, and what do they do? They watch game film, right, to get ready for uh, who you're going to play, and, you know, like, what do the Niners do really well, and, like, what do the Niners not do really well, and the Chiefs tried to exploit that at the end, they win the game, yay, right? So um, that's what Scripture's like. Scripture is giving us game film on our opponent. I would love to be able to tell everybody that life is just like a stroll on the beach, and we're just kicking a ball down the sand, you know, like engaging in a game of volleyball every once in a while and dumping and jumping into the pool. But that's not life. Life is brutally hard sometimes. And we want to look at why it is that life is so hard. Last time we looked at the goodness of creation. We're talking about how magnificent God is and how beautiful his creation is and how much he loves us. But then immediately it provokes the question, well, then why is my life so messed up if God's so good, right? So we want to try to look at that. We want to look at it in light of scripture. So scripture is not only telling us what happened, although it is, it also tells us what always happens. So back to the game film image for football, right? So, you know, some people just keep running the same play over and over and over again. Their playbook's not that complicated. They just hope you'll never catch on or you won't be able to defeat it. The enemy, our enemy, does the same thing with most of us throughout our lives. He runs like one play over and over and over. And every time he runs the play on me, it seems like he gets eight yards and then he just keeps doing it again. He keeps marching down the field. So um, we want to enter into this confident that God wants to shine like an aircraft landing light on the opponent's strategies. Why? So that you and I can grow in freedom because I don't have to be afraid of the enemy. So that said, we want to try to look at two things. This first section, we just want to zero in on the, uh, on the enemy himself. And we want to try to look at his identity his reason for rebelling, his names, his root strategy, his tactics, and his goal for your life. That sounds like a lot, but we can do this kind of quickly. So his identity, his reason for rebelling, his names, his root strategy, his tactics, and his goal for your life. So first, his identity. So who is this enemy? Huh? Who's the devil? So the Catechism, paragraph 391, just reminds us that, that Satan was originally an angel. He was good. God only makes good things. There's not two gods. There's not a good God and a bad God, and they're kind of duking it out, and we just hope the good God wins. There's only one God, and Satan isn't him. So Satan's a creature. He was originally an angel. Some would say he was originally the angel that was closest to God's throne. This is a mighty, majestic creature. And he chose of his own doing to become evil. That's what uh, paragraph 391 reminds us. Not just Satan, but, the, um, but the, the other demons as well. 
And scripture gives us little hints about this, right? So Genesis chapter 3, which is the beginning of the story of the fall, begins with the serpent, that's an image of Satan, as uh, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is going to make abundantly clear. The serpent was more subtle than any other creature that the Lord God had made. And the point of that passage, or one of the points, is just to put the enemy in his place. He's a creature. God made him. He's not an equal to God. You don't have to worry about that. Here's some of the sobering things about this enemy, though. Jesus refers to him as the ruler of this world. That's what he says in John chapter 12, verse 31. Um, He calls him the ruler of the world again in John chapter 14, verse 30. St. Paul calls him the God of this world. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Or again, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he refers to the enemy as the prince of the power of the air. This is, uh, in other words, not some slight little insignificant creature. Um, we don't need to be afraid of him, but we also, and, we want, and God wants to put him in his place. We also want to be sobered about who the opponent is. The opponent is infinitely more powerful than we are on our own. That's the bad news. Good news is we're not on our own. Okay, that's his, that's his identity. Why did he rebel? This is huge. That sounded like the president, did it? This is huge. (laughs) So Satan's sin is pride, but his motive for rebelling isn't pride, at least not according to scripture. Wisdom chapter 2, verse 24 reminds us, through the envy of the devil, death entered the world, and those who are in his possession experience it. So what scripture is revealing, what the game film is revealing, is that the motive for the enemy's rebellion, the reason that he went to war, um, is envy. Now, what's envy? Envy isn't just jealousy. In fact, jealousy is actually a good thing, or at least it can be, right? I see somebody living a good life. Um, They're living virtuously. They're holy. I should be provoked to want that and then aspire to be that myself. That's jealousy. Envy is never good. Envy is a deadly sin, right? Envy is this certain sadness over the well-being or the good fortune of another person. So the, the enemy's... Uh, rebellion is motivated by his envy of you and me. That's massively important to understand. It's not just like he's at war with God and you and I are somehow caught in the crossfires. No, no, no. He's at war against you and me. He, he, he has gone to war with the creature that God loves the most. Now, why in the world would he do that? So uh, a good friend of ours, he's a priest, he, he wrote a little um, narrative about the Christian life. And at one point he says this. I thought this was very helpful. He says, the enemy perceived that in fulfilling the role God planned for him, that is for this angel who was originally named Lucifer or Lightbearer, according to heaven's logic of love, he would be called upon to serve creatures of far less power and excellence than himself. That that is to say, you and me. He envied the good that he saw coming to them, and he resented their destined place. The sight of these happy creatures my friend continues, filled the devil and his fallen angels with anger and with envy. They took thought as to how they might mar the work of God and destroy the destiny of this newly created race. And then get a load of this line. They set about to enslave those whom they had been meant to serve and to degrade those who had been assigned such an exalted place into the lowly slime beneath their feet. So in other words... 
the church has always taught that somehow in a, in a moment, right, because the, the enemy is a pure spirit, he's a mind, God revealed to him the plan that he had for all of us, for all of creation, and our utmost destiny is to be divinized, to share in God's own divine nature. That's what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 24 tells us. So we're created for this, and the enemy is so abhorrent to this thought that he goes to war against the creature God loves the most. That's us, because he does not want to serve us. Rather, he's trying to enslave us. He doesn't want to see us exalted, so he tries to degrade us. Remember that. That's the enemy's desire for us. Slavery and degradation. That's what he's about, okay? Now, that said, what are his names? He's got two primary names that we use in Scripture. Uh, And his names reveal his character. So a name not only identifies somebody in Scripture, it reveals their role or what they do. So the two names are Satan and the devil. So Satan means the accuser, and the devil means the divider. This is not only who he is, it's what he does, okay? He accuses and he divides, and and Nick and Mary are going to talk a little bit about how he does some of those things and how we can come against them practically in just a moment. So what's his root strategy? At the heart of all of his lies and accusations and schemes is one primary strategy, and it's simply this. God is not good. He doesn't love you. He's holding out on you. You could be happier apart from God and his plan and his commandments and his law and his love. Obedience doesn't lead to happiness. Obedience leads to misery. Disobedience and rebellion leads to happiness. That's the root strategy. And Pope John Paul, in a letter that he wrote on the the Holy Spirit back when he was uh, our Holy Father, He writes this really sobering passage. This is in uh, paragraphs 37 and 38 of uh, a letter, which in English is entitled The Lord and Giver of Life. He talks about how the enemy is able to uh, challenge man to see God as his adversary and not as his father. And it's a frightening image here. It's it's as if John Paul is telling us, understand rightly um, the influence of the enemy. The the enemy was able to deceive Adam and Eve in the garden when nothing was wrong. There was no sickness, there was no pain, there was no lust, there was no use, there was no objectification, there was no fear, there was no suspicion, there was only perfection. And yet, the enemy was able to deceive them and to tempt them to think, hmm, maybe God doesn't really love me. If he did, he'd let me eat from the fruit of that tree, but he won't. Hmm. Therefore, I think he's holding out on me. And so John Paul makes the implication that if he's able to do that with our first parents, when they do nothing but perfection, well then imagine what he's able to do with us, right? Who have experienced pain, uh, misfortune, hardship, abuse, um, rape, (laughs) the murder of loved ones, uh, Auschwitz, you name it, right? So uh, we just want to, keep, we want to keep him in his place, but we don't want to underestimate him, all right? So what are his tactics? Well, his tactics are these, really. Um, he accuses, he lies, he divides, he flatters, he tempts, 
and he discourages. And, and Nick and Mary are going to dive into a couple of those in a second. Um, but those are essential. Huh? He accuses, he lies, he divides, he flatters, he tempts, and he discourages. And oh, by the way, he doesn't sleep. So you and I need to rest. He doesn't need to rest. He's incessantly doing these things. I had an image one time of, it was as if I was standing on a beach and this endless series of huge waves kept coming at me as I was standing on the shore and they were constantly trying to just knock me over. And the waves were like an, an image of the temptations of the, of the devil. And I kept, you know, I digging my, my feet into the sand so that I like get the sand up above my ankle so that when the wave come, it wouldn't knock me over. And a huge wave would come and it, you know, I'd stay standing and it, I'd brace myself and, and then I'd look out and there's just this endless array of waves that are coming as if the enemy is just trying to taunt me and go, I'm never going to quit. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, uh, neither am I. You know, by God's grace, I'm going to stay standing. Please, God. Lastly, in this section, what's his goal for your life and mine? Well, according to Jesus, it's really simple. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. Jesus says this. The thief, that's the enemy. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his goal for our lives. Wow. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. So we want to just make this super practical. What does it look like? What does it look like Satan attacking me in my life? So we could just, you know, again, the goal is get that light, the light of the Lord shining on where the enemy is trying to hassle you. So the core of our work is built around priestly revival here at Acts 29 and also equipping priests and lay leaders for the current apostolic age in which we're living. So one of the practical things we do during this talk, captured, right, so you're hearing a version of this right now, um, is to help people immediately identify how and where the enemy is moving in their lives and equip them to do something about it by the power of the name of Jesus to fight back, right? So we've been given authority we share in Jesus' authority by baptism. And so we can do something about what Satan's trying to do in our lives. Right. We're not powerless. We're right? not powerless. Mary, we do, this, we do this often by asking six questions. You want to you talk about that? Yeah, we do. And, and if you don't have a pen handy, uh, grab something when you get home and you're able to write. Because uh, we think these are uh, powerful anointed questions that the Lord gave us in prayer. And so... Uh, these are six questions that we invite uh, folks to take into prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. And so they're, where is he accusing me right now? What lie is crippling me right now? Where is the enemy causing division in my life right now? And where is the enemy flattering my ego right now? And what temptation is strongest in my life right now? And then lastly, where am I most discouraged right now? Right? So, Nick, I would love it if you could just help us, like, in your life, what is, how does the enemy come after you? What tactic does he use in your life? Yeah, absolutely. As you're reading those tactics, Mary, I'm just thinking to myself... Um, you know, he's acting according to his nature always, right? Mm -hmm. He is the father of lies. 
And so the identity thief. The identity right? thief, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about accusation real quick and kind of what that looks like in my life. But it's always these, these come in clusters, right? Because I mean, he's the father of lies. So um, you know, just came on board here at X29 not that long ago, right? This is a new mission I'm on with you guys. This is amazing. But with that comes travel. I didn't travel before. Not like this. I mean, you know, I'm uh, multiple days away from home at times, and um, it's challenging. In that, so my wife and I prayed deeply about coming a part of this mission. Um, we spent a lot of time in discernment, and it came to great clarity, like, this is where the Lord's calling us right now, right? So whether it's one year or 20, you know, please God, <laughs> whatever that is, uh, just grateful. But in, even though there's been truth spoken to us in prayer, and we feel confident about where we are, when I'm traveling with you guys, when we're on, when we're on a mission... Mm-hmm. I just am constantly coming against thoughts that are not from me. You're abandoning your family. You're leaving your boys out to dry. You're leaving your wife. Uh, you're going to ruin your family. I mean, these are just the things he's saying to me all the time, right? And these are plausible accusations. Plausible. Right? I mean, this is I'm, not there. Right? So this isn't, this isn't, yeah, exactly. So, so and it's, and it hits so close to my heart, right? I want to be home. I want to be with my family. Um, and so, so in these accusations... I'm not powerless, though, right? So even if I've had a heavy day, like, I'm like, man, I, am, I, am I doing the right thing? If I'm trying to ask those questions, I just go to that prayer space with Jesus, and I just, you know, being equipped, I just say things like this, right? In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm abandoning my family by being here right now, you know? In the name of Jesus, I, I renounce the lie uh, that my family isn't okay, and in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that my Father in heaven is not coming ever closer to them in my absence. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I just, there's so many opportunities there ripe for me to fall. But by being equipped and just taking the authority I have in my baptism, just saying simply in the name of Jesus, right? You can do this at home. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie. What are you hearing? In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of fear. If you, are you feeling afraid right now? In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm a failure, Right? So don't let Satan's accusations as lies as tactics define you. Mary, I know, I, know, I know you feel the same way I do, feel passionate about this. Yeah, you know, um, the tactic that uh, the enemy uses in my life is he lies. So his ongoing strategy for years now, right, this isn't something new. This, as Father John was talking about, the game film, this is the same lie that I've been battling for years. And um, I think this is... What, it's what I would consider his favorite deception. It sounds like this. I'm not enough. Hmm. Fill in the blank with any number of adjectives. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. And the list can go on and on and on. But in short, it's just simply, you're not enough. Like he negates what God's narrative is in my life by telling me what I'm not. And so... In my life, Nick, I've, I've learned to apply God's truth mm-hmm. over my life. Uh, and it sounds something like this. So, um, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I have to fight for myself. And I declare God's promise over my life. And that sounds something like, I declare that the Lord will fight for me and, then I, and that I need only remain still. Or, in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm self-sufficient. Because in reality, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not enough. God is enough. So in the name of Jesus, I declare that you are my sufficiency. Or in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm worthless and that I don't matter. And then I declare this truth over my life. In the name of Jesus, 
I'm a beloved daughter of the king, and God thinks that I'm worth dying for, right? So as soon as those thoughts come into our mind, we need to allow our minds to be taken captive by the Holy Spirit and immediately move into that territory that the enemy wants to claim for his own. That's exactly right. You know, and so if you're listening to this, I hope as, you hear, as you're hearing this, you're able to start to already identify by the power of the Holy Spirit where the enemy's at. And you can just start right now, literally in your car, wherever you're at, say out loud, in the name of Jesus, I renounce whatever negative, not from God thing that's going on. And, and, and you can fight back. So Father John, right before you jump into part two here, we just talk about to our brothers, our, our pastors, our priests out there, uh, how do they experience some of these tactics in their lives? Yeah, so first of all, thank you both for just going into that, being revealing and vulnerable, because this is so key, right? This is a, con- uh, the, the enemy has game film on the entire human race, and I think we oftentimes fall prey to the the, uh, the misconception that, you know, I'm, I'm actually really clever. I don't think he can deceive me. When, in fact, he's been working with billions of people over thousands of years. Like, he doesn't have to get all that creative. <laughs> so what, what, what he's been saying to Nick and to Mary and to me is, like, what he says to most of us, you know, that, that word that Mary was just saying, you know, like, I remember uh, one of our scripture teachers just saying, like, the, the enemy's favorite word is not. Yeah. The negative. You will not narrative. die. He is not your father. You are right. not enough, right? And so um, God, in his goodness and his love and his kindness and his desire for us to grow in freedom and in happiness, he just, he, he just wants to expose the enemy. So um, ask him to do what they were just sharing from their own lives in your life. Ask him, Lord, show me the lies. I want to grow in freedom. I want to be happy. You know, I, I want to move into the fullness of life that this, uh, this wicked creature tries to prevent me from. You know, so priests deal with lots of things. Maybe I could just zero in on one. And that's... Um, you're disqualified from talking about X, whatever X is, right? So, you know, the, the challenge of being a priest, one of the many challenges, is we have to speak um, on God's behalf to other people, but we're first speaking to ourselves, right? So God, Jesus says some extraordinarily challenging things, you know? And so I can't stand up there and go, well, you know, I have all this figured out, and you little peons, you know, just get your, uh, you know, your act together. Well, I'm wrestling with what God says, too, and so... I have to reflect on, uh, my brothers and I have to reflect on together out loud the challenges that God is saying to us. And sometimes what he's saying to us, I'm being convicted of myself. You know, so today we had mass this morning and uh, Jesus is reminding us, you know, that it's not what goes into a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of the person. What what comes out of a person comes from from within his heart and what's in his heart is where the evil comes from. Well, good grief. I mean, my heart is full of evil. (laughs) You know, I got envious thoughts. I got deceitful thoughts. I got lustful thoughts. I got angry thoughts. Um, That that didn't all go away with ordination. And so so sometimes you're battling these things either just as temptations, or maybe you've given into them in different ways. And so the enemy jumps on that and says, ah, you can't talk about this because you yourself are struggling with it. And and that's just not true. You know, Uh, if anything... God uses, um, I think, my own experience as a priest. He uses our sins for good because now we can talk about, he doesn't delight in the sin, don't get me wrong, but now I can talk about, well, <laughs> let me share you with you God's mercy, even in these kinds of things that we might be battling with that, that we're all kind of common to in the human person. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, absolutely. I, so uh, fathers, brothers out there, right? My brother, my father, you're not disqualified. And I encourage you, Fight back. You're not disqualified. You, you've been called 
And God raises up the lowly, right? And that's all of us sitting here right now on the table. Yeah. Amen. So let's dive into the second part, okay? So this was all a setup. So the, the second part of the kerygma is actually uh, the consequences of sin. And we did what we just did because it's important to understand, well, where did sin come from if God is good and all he makes is good? And so we've tried to talk about here's where sin comes from at its root. It comes from this enemy who was good, who was a creature of God, and who rebelled, and he rebelled out of envy of us. So what are the consequences of sin? Oftentimes, the way this is explained is, well, the consequences of sin is that you and I are separated from God. Well, that's true by all means, but I mean, like, who cares? I mean, if you're 17 years old and somehow you stumbled upon this podcast and you go, well, those consequences of sin are I'm separated from God, you know, you probably meet that with a resounding yawn. I mean, that, that's how I would have met it back then. Like, who gives a flip? I'm separated from God. I'm on my own. Well, no, actually, you're not. So, one of the most powerful ways for me to um, share this with people, I did the Ignatian exercises years ago now when I was in the seminary. So it's this long 30-day retreat just based on scripture. But the, there's a meditation very early on on hell, which is not a fun meditation, trust me. And in the meditation, I'm, I'm in line. I'm, I'm like, you know, using my imagination, asking the Holy Spirit to help me. I'm in line, and I'm about to stand in front of Jesus after I have died. So I'm seeing him smile at everybody in front of me and, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, which is what we all want to hear, right, when we die. But instead, I get to him, and his head's down, and he raises his head, and his smile just evaporates. And he looks at me with this extraordinary sadness, and he says to me, depart from me, you accursed, into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels, which is the only other option we're going to hear when we die other than well done, good and faithful servant. And he says that to me, and I am just like beyond lost, you know? And I'm seeing this, it's almost as if he's on a stage, and he walks off the stage towards a door, he opens the door, he walks out of the door, I hear the door slam, and I realize, oh, crap, like... I'm alone, like no more chances to repent, no more chances to ask for forgiveness, no chance to go to confession, no chance to say I'm sorry, like that's it, time's up, done, over, finished, kaput. And then minutes go by, and as I'm standing there all alone, I hear this thing start to laugh. And I realize, oh no, I'm not alone. <laughs> and this creature walks up to me, it's the enemy, right? And he looks at me and he says, you fool, as he laughs at me. God offered you abundant, infinite life. And you fell for my lie. Just wait till you see what I've got waiting for you. So the consequence of sin is not simply that we're separated from God. It's that we are necessarily in the hands of another so the most powerful way that I know how to describe the result of the fall, huh, the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve, which has consequences for us all, is that our race unknowingly sold itself into slavery to powers that we can't com co compete against, all right? That's the consequences of sin. The human race sold itself into slavery to powers it can't compete against. Now, that sounds like a pretty bold claim. What are those powers and how can we prove it? Well, there are two mainly, death and sin, which are both best written with capital letters. 
And I think these are really easy to prove. I mean, tomorrow, uh, it's going to be February 13th as we're recording this. It's the fourth anniversary of my dad's death. I remember showing up at the hospital. He had already passed away. I'm looking at my father, who was the greatest man I've ever known, lying on a gurney. And I can't do a thing. I mean, he's just, he's gone. I can't do CPR. I can't use the money that he left us to revive him. I can't do a thing. I'm totally impotent. Two, two and a half years later, my mom died. And as she was dying in her bedside, my sisters and I are standing around the bed and we're watching her breathe her last. And no matter what access we had to healthcare or doctors, no matter what we tried to do, we were powerless from watching her breathe her last. And most of us who are listening right now have been there. And if you haven't, you will be. Um, there's nothing that makes you quite feel as incompetent uh, and impotent as watching a loved one pass away. So death is a power. It's like a government. It's a rule and authority over the human race. And there's nothing anybody can do to prevent it from coming our way. The other one is sin. So sin is, you know, we, if we think of sin at all, we tend to think of it as something that I do or I don't do or I say or I don't say or I think or I don't think. And that's true by all means, right? But before that, sin's a power. Yeah, it, it, it also is a government or an authority or a rule. Paul in Romans talks about this on a number of different occasions, you know, that we are all under the power of sin, right? And uh, the easiest way I know how to prove this is just to ask a simple question. Like, is there anybody out there listening right now who's ever done something that, you know, you didn't want to do and you know you shouldn't do? And maybe, in fact, you hated doing, but you did it anyway. Like, anybody? Bueller? Anybody out there? Right? Like, I do that all the time. Right? We all do. Like, have you ever wondered why? And the answer to the why is because sin is a power. It's a government and a rule and an authority, even for those of us who have received the power of the Holy Spirit within us, um, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We continue to struggle with this power. Why? Um, Because we got memories and habits and instincts and all that. But sin's a power, okay? And death is a power. These are the the things that we are trying to compete against. And against them, we are absolutely and utterly powerless on our own. So Fleming Rutledge, who's uh, just this great uh, woman scholar that we've befriended um, a little bit online, and we're looking forward to meeting her in April. So Fleming, if you're listening, I don't know why you would be, but if you are, hey, here's a shout out to you. She has this great little passage in a book called uh, The Crucifixion, where she says, no one is capable of being captain of his own soul or master of her own fate. Each of us is worked upon by unconscious impulses of which we are not even aware and over which we have little control. Paul, unlike the typical American, does not think in terms of autonomous human beings. No one is free in the domain of this world as it is, either We must live our lives in the clutches of soul-destroying powers, or we are delivered into the obedience of faith. The clear implication here is that there is no way for the human being to move from the domain of sin to the domain of God's righteousness unless there is an invasion of the kingdom of sin from the outside. The domain of sin leads to death, she writes. Its goal and its purpose is death. And there's no way out of this downward-moving spiral of dissolution. That is to say, no way out on our own. Now, the most powerful image that I personally, anyway, have found to to describe what it's like to be sold into the powers of uh, sin and death 
came on a retreat that I was doing with some college kids uh, maybe a couple years ago now. A lot of young women there, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just gave the image of, imagine what it would be like to have been abducted by a human trafficker. So human trafficking is you know, arguably the greatest scourge in our country, in our world right now, together with abortion. So imagine what it'd be like to be you know, taken. Uh, no, one's, no one knows where you are. No one's coming for you. You're chained. You're helpless. You're in the hands of a fiend who just enjoys using you, and there's no way out. That's the situation of the human race on our own, apart from God. So like Mary said at the very beginning of this, this is heavy stuff, huh? And this is hardly the place you want to end a podcast. So I don't want to end it here. I want to go back to where we began. We began by saying that all of this is intended to give us hope. Now, how is it intended to give us hope? Scripture is giving us an account of reality. And again, remember, reality is dealing with the evil and the suffering that are present in this world, but then also helping us to understand that God in his love and in his mercy has done something about it. And even now, he has begun to overcome the power of sin and death. And in the resurrection of Jesus, the new creation has already begun, and one day it will gloriously be brought to fulfillment when the rightful king of heaven and earth comes back to this earth, and he puts everything back together as it's intended to be. What do we do in the meantime right now? Let me give you a passage from the book of Isaiah. So in chapter 49 of Isaiah, through the prophet, God says this. This is God speaking. And he's speaking to you and to me right now. He says, can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Who are those prey? Who are those captives? That's you. That's me. That's, that's the human race. Who is the tyrant? Uh, that would be the enemy, right? Surely, thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant shall be rescued, for I will contend with those who contend with you, and then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. People, this is a promise, and God is the one who's making the promise. This is why Jesus came. God became a man, the God through whom the universe that's 46 billion light years across he became a man so as to rescue you and me from this tyrant and so that you and me who were captives to sin and death could go free. That's why you and I have hope because the God who did that is the one who's alive in you right now. And though the enemy is real and he continues to prowl around the world looking for those he can destroy and enslave and ruin, you don't have to be afraid of him because the one who's in you is greater than him. So remember, do not be afraid. God is with you. You were born for this. <laughs>